Um, anyway. Um, hello, this is Thought Anthology. I believe it's episode... I think it's 33. Or it's probably a bit more than that. I can't quite remember now. I probably should looked into it. Um, today I have Jack um, with me. Um, we're going to just go through getting to know you a bit, Jack. Um, Sounds good to me. Um, I've got these notes to prompt me because with Night Shift, my brain is like cooked. <laughs> like the ability to do anything is like really hard at the moment. Um, so who are you, Jack? Who am I? It's a, it's a deep question, I yeah. guess. Or it's a very superficial one. It's a very, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, for work, I'm a journalist. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's a big part of yeah. who I am as a person is, you know, what I do for work and yeah. outside of work, what I do for sport, you know, the MMA stuff, the boxing stuff, jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, who am I? Gosh. Yeah. So where are you, well, like, for example, like, where are you from? I'm from Adelaide originally. Yeah, so yeah. born and bred there. Born and bred, yeah. yeah. So I was in Adelaide for most of my life. Yeah. I moved to Mount Gambier for a year and a half. Yeah. I worked for the ABC up there, so oh, it's sort of taken me back. Yeah. With the microphones, feel like I'm back <laughs> on the radio. Oh, beautiful. And then, yeah, I've been in Mildura for a year now, so yeah. it's been good. So, um, so why did you start doing journalism? Like, So when I was at school, I was trying to pick between law or journalism. Yeah. So they were my two things that I was deciding between, and then... I did year 12 law and it was just a bit too clinical for me. Mm. It's very process driven and not enough sort of human interaction, which yeah. I quite enjoy. Yeah. So then that's why I sort of went into media. Always liked writing. So yeah. that was always a, you know, a good thing. And then, yeah, just my job's fun. I just get yeah. to talk to people more interesting than myself all day. So that's oh, crucial for me. So you really enjoy those human interactions. Do you yeah. get a, um, do you enjoy being a bit creative? Cause I assume the role's a bit more creative than it would be in law. Yeah, absolutely. You get yeah. a lot of freedom I mean, all the jobs really I've worked in media, you get a lot of freedom in terms of what you want to report on. So if you have something you're particularly passionate about, they say just go for it, mm. which I really enjoy. So I did a story uh, last week, mm. spoke to one of the local Indigenous organisations, yeah, and they were basically really struggling for funding. And we had a big chat about the fact that what they do is they get kids in before they reach a crisis point. Yeah. Because they were saying, you know, it's a band-aid solution to try to deal with kids when they're further down the line, when they're already getting in trouble with police, when they're already yeah. you know, out on the street causing trouble. But if you can get them in early, yeah. not just Indigenous youth, but any youth in general, because obviously it's a bit of an issue around Mildura at the moment. Yeah. Um, and they were saying, yeah, we're not getting any funding, but they're funding the end. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. And things like that I'm quite passionate about. Yeah. Mm. I think that was something that Anthony, Anthony McDonald tip and Woody was doing or something. Yeah, I, I think he's so. doing a program similar to that. Yeah, I think he's getting them through the football, which is good. Yeah, which is, yeah. Because I heard about something like that. Mm. That'd, that'd be interesting to get through. Um, so how long have you been doing journalism then? So you would. how long was the, the, the degree? I'm assuming it's like four or three years or... So it was a four-year degree. So yeah. I did a double. I did international relations yeah. and journalism. Yeah. So a bit of politics and philosophy yeah. and, and things like a bit of history as well in there, yep. which is good. Beautiful. Uh, yes, yeah, so I did that four-year degree, um, and then I went and worked for the ABC for a year and a half. Yeah. Um, and then I've been a year at this job, so so coming up to three years. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming you really enjoy it still. Yeah, love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. So with your hobbies, what's the hobbies do you do at the moment? Um, yeah, as I was saying before, so sort of boxing, getting into jiu-jitsu, as you know. Yeah. Which I've been loving. It's um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's very creative and cerebral. Yeah. Even more so than boxing. So. Yeah. So is that why you enjoy it? Yeah, I think so. I was um, I listened to a video the other day, and it was George Saint Pierre. Yeah. And he was talking about there's three types of people that go into fighting sports. He says there's the fighter, which is like sort of like the tough guy. Yeah. And then there's the athlete. Yeah. And then there's the artist. Yeah. 
and I really like just the learning and the creativity of it. That's yeah. that's probably what I enjoy most about it. I would say. Yeah, I think I'm the same mm. with that as well. Yeah. So, you said you do boxing. So how long have you done boxing for? Oh, probably coming up to seven years. I'd seven say. years. Yeah. yeah. So what made you into boxing? So I started with six of my mates. Yeah. Um, we were just actually one of my mates' mums used to box. Yeah. Like just for fitness boxing. Yeah. So we all headed along to that and. Um, we all sort of trained for a while, probably trained for about a year together. And then it got to the point where we started sparring. Yeah. And then that's mm-hmm. sort of when you decide whether you want to actually be a boxer or not. Yeah. We all started sparring and then all five of them left. Yeah. <laughs> and I was the last one standing. So, yeah. And yeah, just been doing it ever since then, really. Oh, beautiful. So have you done a few fights and stuff? Yeah, I've had about nine, I think. Nine? Yeah. yeah. How'd you go with all them? Yeah, good. I've got about 50-50 record. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I lost three of my first four, though. Yeah. Um, so that teaches you a bit about yourself, I yeah. think. You sort of just gotta gotta push through that. Yeah. Learn how to lose. Yeah, exactly. It's a good it's a good skill to have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think records matter too much in amateurs. It's more for the fun of the sport, really. Oh, exactly right. Yeah. Nice, cool, man. Mm. So do, what? So you're saying you're going to leave in two weeks? Yeah. So what are you gonna do with all that? Are you still gonna try to do jiu-jitsu? Have you found something, or what are you gonna do with yourself? Yeah. So there's a place in Toowoomba, which is an hour away from Dalby. Yeah. So probably just gonna make that commute a couple times a week, see if I can get down there. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you need a hobby. Yeah. Otherwise, you just go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just work all the time. Oh, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a couple of the hobbies already. That's gone quick, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh. What got you into jiu-jitsu, I guess? Um, well, I guess with jiu-jitsu, I've um, been doing martial arts since I was like six. Mm. So I started like doing like kids karate called Zendu Kai, which is like down at the um, Arupa Leisure Center. Started there. Mm. And throughout my entire life, I've always been doing some sort of martial art. This jiu-jitsu is probably my, th- oh, my fourth martial art. Mm. I did the kids karate. I did Japanese karate, which I stopped doing because like I didn't my knees were fucking killing me because like um, they'd make you kneel on the um the hard floorboard yeah and then they're like oh let's just start doing like all these stances when your knees are numb mm-hmm. um, which didn't help my knees at all I then did a screamer which is a Filipino stick fighting martial art oh yeah um, which I still got the sticks and like the fight it's like kendo but like yeah. Filipino which is just it's brutal keep them on you at all times just in case yeah just in case <laughs> always next to my knees yeah um I'll show you afterwards, they're pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then I got into jiu-jitsu, so I um, decided to do jiu-jitsu because I wanted to be a more complete sort of martial artist. Um, but ever, ever since doing jiu-jitsu, I haven't done any fucking striking. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that plan kind of went down, which one of my plans this year is to do better. Mm. But um, the reason why I chose jiu-jitsu was just to co- make myself more complete in the sense of like my martial arts. Um, and then after doing it, like you start realising that creative aspect, yeah, which is just like, it's so inventive um, and so strategic, similar to striking, but striking is a bit different. There's more options in the realm of the ground game yeah. um, and your approach as well because it's no immediate, like, there's no rush in the sense that someone's striking you and you could be knocked out. It's more or less um, the positioning, like in a chess game, in the sense of your defensive and offensive to prevent submission, which would makes it more opportunistic to be creative, I think. Yeah. Um, so I fucking love it, man. It's so much fun. Like, I had a break because of COVID, but when I came back, you fall back in love with it again. Mm-hmm. It's just that realisation of, like, the depth of the game. And um, when you start rolling with higher belts now, it's just so interesting. Yeah. Like, you just really can start seeing how people think. 
I feel like skill um, in jiu-jitsu is just such a great equaliser. Yeah. Like you can be a really good striker, but if you're going against someone who's just significantly bigger than you, there's yeah. a chance they can just overwhelm you. Yeah. But that just doesn't happen in jiu-jitsu. No. Like it really, if you're skilled enough, you can beat, you know, yeah. one of the best guys from our club, like like Lockie. Yeah. Know, the size of him compared to some of the other guys, yeah. because he's so skilled, he yeah. can just keep up with them. Whereas exactly right. In boxing, a 60 kilo guy is not going to beat a 110 kilo guy. No. It's not going to happen. Yeah, it's totally different. And like in a, in like a defense, self-defense situation with jiu-jitsu, like you may get like punched and shit, mm. but you can still trap somebody and break their arm. Yeah. Like you'll still take a lot of damage, but like in the end, you can still win as a smaller guy in a fight, mm. self-defensive wise. I think it's great for the ego as well. Yeah. Because I, yeah, coming from boxing, going into jiu-jitsu, like, I didn't assume I was going to be good at it or anything like that, but it's just you come in and you go, wow, I thought I was a decent fighter. Yeah. And then you come and do that and you realise, gosh, I'm pretty helpless on the ground. Yeah. It changes everything. Especially yeah. when you, st- like, especially if you stand up and somebody grabs you as well, like, the punching changes and, like, mm. the strikes change and it's just, everything's so, like, the whole aspect of violence is very tricky. Yeah. It's very, um, very messy. Yeah, but it makes it so much fun. But it's kind of interesting though because I don't really ever think about it as violence. Yeah, I I don't know how you think about it. Oh well, the sport itself of jujitsu is not, but when applied to like in the situation of violence. Oh, in a self-defense situation, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so as you're saying. Yeah, I was just like, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you're fighting or whatever, or it's thuggish, and there's that sort of idea around it. But the nicest people you ever meet are martial arts people. Yeah. From my experiences, anyway. And I don't know if you look at it from a an art perspective and from a skill perspective mm. and even just like a knowledge acquisition perspective yeah. that's what it's all about rather yeah. than just like trying to hurt the guy yeah even in boxing like i enjoy the you know the flow of it the distancing making people yeah. miss like it's chess as you yeah. said before yeah it's a yeah. sport it's mm. yeah that's the fun part of it which is what i try to explain to my mum yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah which she does not get but yeah <laughs> and when i'm saying like a violence i mean like when it gets complicated i mean like if it's for a self-defense situation like because because violent situations, like, are, they're not regulated, they're not controlled, it's like... Mm. It's a different game, It's all sure. different, and, like, the way you should approach it is very, um, very different. Mm. But with the sport of just jiu-jitsu by itself, it's just, like, so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I can imagine even in, like, a self-defense scenario that, like, you can use most, most of it you can use, mm. except for pulling guard. Oh, really? I'm, <laughs> I'm screwed then. Just don't I just throw triangles the whole time. Throw triangle. Yeah. Yeah. Just butt scoop. <laughs> Top pressure, bro. Yeah. Um, yeah. I should probably be in the camera. Um, yeah. Are you got any interest in any other martial arts you want to do? Or? I'm liking judo. You know, we've been doing Fucking a bit of judo. Yeah. Judo is just, yeah. it's just fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's that's so, so much fun. Like once you get that feel, that flow, yeah. Like once you get that sensation of like how the throw should feel, mm. oh, there's nothing better. It's just a cool idea of just being well-rounded. I think. I yeah. Just, I like wrestling. I like judo. Yeah. I did like you were saying you were doing karate and stuff when you were growing yeah. up. I did taekwondo growing up. So yeah. I did ten or eleven years of taekwondo growing up. Yeah. I think I was like a one-strike brown belt or something like that. Like yeah. Close to the black belt. Um. So that's sort of the kicking, and then yeah. went to the punching, and then. Now we're doing the grappling, but yeah. yeah, I think it's just a lifetime thing, right? Yeah, man, you gotta do it well. It's like um, it's it's kind of like being that modern day like warrior sort of thing, I guess. Not being too corny, it's mm. like the whole thing. Like that's I think every like martial artist throughout their life, like always focus on just doing it for like always improving and always trying to find their way mm. in that art, and that's also also being a well-rounded martial artist. Yeah. I don't think I've never seen any martial artist that doesn't want to be well-rounded. No, that's true. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting as well because 
obviously you you really enjoy martial arts, but you also really enjoy philosophy. Yeah. And, you know, thought-provoking things. Do you reckon yeah. there's sort of a connection between the two? I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, like, in, like you probably read the Book of Five Rings. Yeah. I think, isn't there I, a... I actually just read it, like, a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Do you think there's a... Isn't there a quote in there that says the way isn't everything? Yeah, well, that's, like, the last book, right? Like, it's yeah. it's just one page, and it's yeah. just... His, isn't this whole thing you just have to master everything? That's kind of a whole thing, you know, yeah. calligraphy and poetry. And, yeah. Which I think is cool because you think of philosophers these days and you sort of think of a guy in a, a tweed jacket or yeah. something like that. But yeah. then you look at Marcus Aurelius or whatever and and they were Caesars and hunters and yeah. warriors. Yeah. And I think that's kind of been lost a little bit these days. Yeah. And I find that, I really find that concept of um, the ways and everything is like, and that seems very true. Mm. Like you can, like let's say for example in Jiu-Jitsu, if I can start having thought like if I can force myself to think more creatively and have more thought provoking conversations with people I can then apply those same like thought strategies in jujitsu yeah um and that's the way I interpret the ways and everything mm. like in calligraphy the patience of like finding order and structure within those strokes can also be found within like a martial art like striking or sword fighting yeah that's true I think that was th- that's the way I interpreted that point yeah and he even talks about things you know the way you walk like yeah, the, the strides you take. And yeah, every yeah, everything is very detailed. Yeah. yeah, it's like yeah, everything you do is the way, mm. which is very cool when you think about it, and very it's samurai. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, and then there's just like forty five pages of the book where it's all the different sword techniques. Yeah, I'm like how do I translate this to jujitsu? <laughs> how can I do that? Yeah. Oh, no, it's good. It's probably not the technique itself. It's probably the concept. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I love that. Um, yeah, no, so they're very, they are very related. I think, um, like, because the whole point of, like, I guess, I actually don't know what I'm getting with that. I don't know. Do you think it's very connected? Yeah, I'd say so, for yeah. sure. What reasons do you think so? Well, I don't know. You can, like, if you just go into something with just being tough or just being athletic, you're just not going to get far. Yeah. Like, you can be tough and athletic, but you'll never be a great striker, and you can be tough and athletic, and you'll never be a great jiu-jitsu person. You need to, yeah. to study it. Yeah. You just said the way like, you need to study the basics, like a hip escape. Like, yeah. It's boring. No one likes to do hip escapes, yeah. but I've learned like recently, as I'm a white belt, but it's like, that's so crucial. Like, yeah. so now when we're doing the warm-ups, I'm like, I want to get this perfect. Yeah. Because when someone's on top of you, you can't do it half ass. so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Well, you can even say that, well, I think you can apply all those sort of thought concepts to everyday life anyhow. Mm. Like, I think everyone's a philosopher in their own right. Yeah. Because um, everyone makes a decision based upon a thought process. Mm. Mm. That's true. If that matches up, without sounding too <laughs> deranged, I feel like my like I can't really think straight at the moment because like you can you can feel like a thought block from night from night shift from the like, night shift. Like yeah. it's just like I can't think straight. Yeah, I feel a bit of a thought block from the ten whiskeys. Yeah. <laughs> but let me know if like it makes sense or not. Yeah, no, I know sorry. exactly what you're saying. Legit, because um, yeah, because I can't like, because the entire time like I really was into like philosophical thinking. I think around about like. Like, I started that sort of stuff when I was 12. Because, mm. like, that's I... early to get into it. Yeah, that's because I had, like, an existential crisis. I realised that you die. Okay. <laughs> like, and it really hit me home. So, yeah. like, after that, like, I just, like, was having, like, really moments of, like, introspection and thoughts about, like, what life is and all that sort of stuff and really had issues with it. Yeah, so um, what, were you scared of death or...? I, well, I don't know if... It's, like, firstly, it was a fear of death. And then after the fear of death, it was a disappointment in life. Mm. I was just disappointed that like the entirety of our existence is that we work and then we die. 
Mm. And, I was, and that was how basic my thought process was back then. Yeah. That like, at first it was like, oh, my life is going to end, I will die. Yeah. It's like, fuck, I just got here, dude. Yeah. Like, um, and then again, like, and with that process, like, I don't, I'm not convinced there is a God, but there could or could not be. Yeah. There's a lot of, un, like, nothing is for certain. You don't know why, why you exist. You don't know what happens after you don't exist. Mm. It's like, that's pretty fucking horrifying. Yeah. It's just like, so I'm just going to die and like, I don't know what, what reason that's for. Like, and there's no obvious reason while I'm alive. Sorry if you're like a, a Christian or anything. No, like I'm not. I'm not. See, I have the sort of belief that I don't think it really matters. Like, yeah. I don't think you need to have some sort of grand scheme. You know, a lot of people go through like, yeah. I want to be remembered. Yeah. I Even then, that makes I don't because the thing is, it yeah. doesn't matter what you do in yeah. a million years, no one's going to remember you. Exactly right. So, who cares? Yeah. Like, just get the little, your little interactions with people during the day yeah. is where you make those impacts, I guess. Yeah. Like, just try to, you know, have fun with your friends, be kind to people, yeah. do what you enjoy. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you don't, if there's yeah. no overarching thing yeah. you need to achieve in your life. Yeah. I don't know, and I think if you look at it like that, you're going to be a lot happier. Yeah. And that's a similar conclusion I came to anyway yeah. at the end of the day. Like, it's like, we don't have to be certain about anything. Like, mm. I think the idea of being certain is just a way of like dealing with our insecurities of, of the uncertain. And once we accept that everything is uncertain, then we can really enjoy things. Mm. Well, I mean, the thing is, without scarcity, nothing's valuable. Yeah. You know, like if we didn't have a limited amount of time, nothing yeah. would mean anything. Like if you were immortal and you lived yeah. forever, you'd become so numb to everything. Yeah. You, you'll have done everything and yeah. it's just, nothing. you know, what do you do? Yeah. It's like if there was infinite diamonds in the world, they're worthless. Yeah, exactly. So right. I think that's sort of maybe a good way to look at it. Yeah, which is which is a very valuable way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about it in that sort of sense. Not, not that sort of angle. Yeah. Yeah. But like in that sort of Marcus Aurelius thing, since like over those years I've started to developed thoughts like like need to make every day well not necessarily I need to make take value in every day and try to make the most that I can mm. um, but that's within also within reason and realizing that I am imperfect and I can't achieve everything perfectly but at least trying to strive for something every day that I can be proud of once I've passed away mm. um, so it's a matter of just not taking every day for granted because after this conversation we have today, it's not coming back. Yeah. Like we can replay it, but like this moment in physical space and time is not existing anymore. Eventually this entire like video won't exist anymore. Mm. But like just enjoying that it exists now is yeah, something true. special. Yeah. And I think just also just being able to accept the reality of things sometimes. Like the yeah. shit things just happen and there's no reason for it. Like there's no right or reason. Some people exactly just get right. a shit run in life and that's just... They haven't done anything to deserve that. Some people yeah. get a really great run in life and they yeah. haven't done anything to deserve that either. It's just sort of how things are. Exactly right. It's just chaos. It's a very um, it's a very Buddhist type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, very Zen philosophy. Yeah. So my partner, she's Vietnamese and for Lunar New Year, we went to the Buddhist temple. Yeah. So I was listening to them speak there and did the whole sort of, you know, the ceremony and whatnot for Lunar New Year. And that's very, it's a very Buddhist belief. You know, you accept the yeah. things you can you can't change and you just say, you know, it is what it is, there's suffering in life, but, yeah. you know, try to be happy with what you can be happy with, which I think is, that's just, it's a cool religion. Yeah. I prefer that sort of religion to being like, there's a deity that yeah. controls everything, you got to appease yeah. him, otherwise you're going to have a shit afterlife. Yeah, it's a very objective sort of religion. Yeah. It's just like, mm. uh, what's the, what's the, the one Zen quote is like, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is, yeah. yeah. Like, there's um, a guy who'd ask questions to a Zen philosopher and he just says, it is, isn't it? Mm. Like, that's all it is. Like, oh, my life is suffering. 
it is, isn't it? Oh, my life is happy. It is, isn't it? Mm. You know, my house got taken down by a car. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you can't do anything. Like, so, so many things are outside of your control. So what's the point of getting worked up about it? Mm. Like, and that's a real stoic sort of philosophy as well. Um, do you and, think that stoicism these days is sort of, because of social media and because yeah. of the whole, like, right-wing red pill stuff, stoicism's kind of been miscued? Oh, a little bit sometimes. Yeah. I feel like it started out like with that perception that stoicism's like having no emotion at all. Yeah. Like people are posting American Psycho clips and me like I'm a stoic. So yeah. you're kind of missing the point, I think. There. Yeah. Um, I feel like there is there is a perception that like people have miscued it in play. I think that's because they've placed over their own probably cognitive biases over it. Would you say? Mm. Like, because I think that would be the only thing that'd be causing it. Yeah. It's because they maybe have perceptions of what things ought to be and so then they listen to the quote of this and they say this is what it ought to be. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I say it again. As in like, the reason why it's perceived that way Yeah. because people already have preconceived notions of the way things should be. Mm-hmm. So when they read a quote from Marcus Aurelius or from Stoicism, they say, oh, this is what it ought to be and yeah. not what actually the intention was. Yeah. If that makes sense. And then therefore they will result in these conclusions that they are so biased towards already Mm. or they'll misconstrue something um, towards their biases. But I think sort of saying you're one thing or another is stupid. You should take bits and pieces from everything. You know, people would just identify like, I'm a stoic, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a utilitarianist. Like, you have to just be like, I'll pick this and I'll discard the rest. Yeah. And then you sort of make up your own beliefs out of those things because it's just one person's opinion. Yeah. Like, everyone read Marcus Aurelius' diary. He didn't know anyone was going to read his diary. Yeah. Just happened to and happened to become famous. But that was his life and that's how he experienced it. You can't just just copy his life. Yeah. Your life is totally different. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can try to take some of his thought processes and apply it, but if it doesn't work for you, there's no real point applying it. Mm. Um... Yeah, like, and I think it is, like, I don't like the idea of having a solid identity like that. Like, I think it's, mm. I think it'll lead you down a path of disappointment. Yeah. Well, it's the same with politics. You know, people yeah. say, oh, I'm right wing, I'm left wing. Yeah. But surely, issue by issue, yeah, you change. Surely. You, know, you, you can't just agree with everything that one party says. Yeah. Because no one does that. No. And it's kind of, yeah, kind of foolish. Yeah. Like, there was a real, I had a really good conversation with a mate about politics. Side note now, we're going on a left. Like, I never thought about it this way, that, like, you notice how people, when, like, comes to voting time, how it becomes, like, an us versus them sort of thing. Like, you have the opposition and you have whatever, I can't remember the terms now. Um, and how, if the opposition ends up in position, everyone, like, still hates them. Yeah. When you should be perceiving it as they should do a bloody good job. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a matter of, like, it's a matter of percentages rather than a 50-50. Yeah. And it's very strange how, like like the media and people start skewing that perception that it is a 50-50, not actually a game of percentages of like who's going to do the better job. And the thing is, people have ideas that they both agree with, but because there's... I did something on this at uni, and it was basically about the fact that in modern-day times with social media and the way politics is set up, there's been a complete dissolving of civil resolution. Like, people can't find common ground anymore. Yeah. Like, it's like, if you're on the opposite side, I can't agree with anything you say. Yeah. So people talk about... What's an example? Like, okay, gun control, for example. Yeah. People who are pro-gun control or, you know, against gun control, mm. um, neither of them want kids to die. Yeah. And that's something they can both agree on. Yeah. But the people who are pro-gun control are saying, oh, you know, these guys on this other side, they want kids to die. That's why they're keeping guns yeah. legal. And then they say, oh, they're trying to take away our freedom. But there's, you know, 
there's middle ground there. Yeah. But people can't see that middle ground because you get too fired up about it. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like it's innate for people to like become tribal like that? Probably, but social media's made it worse. Yeah. Like, significantly worse. Because you're stuck in an echo chamber. Yeah. If you, if you go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you're only going to get shown things you agree with. Yeah. Because that's how the algorithm's tailored. Yeah. So you see all this information that supports your existing beliefs. Yeah. And then you go, how could they possibly think that on the other side? Like, they're so stupid. How could, yeah. Like, where are they getting their information from? And then you look at their social media or whatever. Yeah. They're seeing things that reinforce their views. Yeah. So... But, yeah. but like what stops people from like what do you what do you think stops people from having a moment of like um actually being able to perceive things from it like it's kind of like having empathy actually be able to see the other side like what what's what's hindering that do you think that's a good question because like they're, they're <laughs> like they're in an echo chamber and they're seeing all this and they agree with all these points and they get really like emotionally distressed about these other points mm. and yet they don't seem to be able to actually have an ability to like well, I think it's Come a personal responsibility to educate yourself. Yeah. On an, an individual level, excuse me. Like, yeah. if you have a particular view, you should go, okay, maybe I'll have a look at the other side and see if they have a point. Yeah. But people aren't going to do that because no. it takes a lot of work to change your ideas and opinions, especially yeah. if you're brought up a certain way. Like, if your family's told you something your whole life, it's very hard to change that belief. Yeah. Um, but it can work. People yeah. can do it. It's just... You have to choose to do it yourself. Yeah, it's work. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it... Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with that. I think it's like maybe just a... And it's also an easier route. Because mm-hmm. like having to look into yourself and change yourself is a lot harder than not. And it, yeah, and it kind of feels good to have an enemy sometimes. <laughs> it does. <yeah. laughs> That's human nature, as you were saying. That's tribalism. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like that, that kind of thing in us is like we're trying to find... Trying to find that danger, that opposition, mm. but it turns the, the other. I think it's called like the concept of the other. Yeah. What do you mean? So I can't remember who said it, but basically, people want to unite against a common enemy. Yeah. Because then they feel like they're part of a group, and you know they're part of everyone who has the same beliefs and views. Like you look at. Yeah. You look at most conflicts that have been started. So you know it's about finding an enemy, and then you unite that country. Like yeah. country is always. If you win the war, you always mm. end up stronger than before the war because yeah. everyone came together and there's a sense of patriotism and there's a sense of nationalism yeah. after those wars. Like that's why countries rage wars. Yeah, is for that reason. You know? yeah. America made a shitload of money off of both of those wars. Yeah, mm. and they grew stronger. Yeah, a lot of technologies grow too. That's a good point. Everybody yeah. unites and like the things progress. War actually has a use. <laughs> okay. well, that's Darwinism, I guess. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find it. Yeah. I'm trying to go. Over. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, well, I see it a lot back to the sort of empathy thing. thing yeah. Through my work, I see that a lot because I have to interview people of, you know, across the board. Yeah. And there's people that I've interviewed that I just do not agree with at all. You know, yeah. their opinions just stand in the face of everything I believe in, but I have to be neutral. Yeah. And I have to listen to what they have to say. Like, I've interviewed Pauline Hanson before. Yeah. Oh, that'd have been cool. Yeah, I did it when I was 19. Yeah. I did work experience over in Sydney and I interviewed Pauline Hanson. Oh, hell yeah. Her beliefs are very different to my beliefs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you sit there and you nod politely and you listen to what they have to say. Didn't really change my mind on anything, but you yeah. have to give people an opportunity to speak. Yeah. yeah. Freedom of information and freedom of press and mm. it's important. It's necessary. Yeah. But then you can also probably go too far, would you say? At what point do you think freedom of speech becomes a detriment? 
I don't know. Like I think it, I think it. Like I have, I used to be in the youth parliament. And I had a I had a um a speech about hate speech. <laughs> what was your stance on it? Um, I don't. Like, I think it's too subjective that, like, we should be placing laws upon what's hateful or not. Yeah, um, that's a fair point. But, because, like, where's the line? Mm. Um, with, I don't, I think it depends upon the society. If the society has enough, like, tools and critical faculties to actually be able to discuss speech that they don't agree with, then it is fine. Mm. But if we live in a society where there's inability to actually question one's own thought patterns, then it, there may need to be restrictions. But is there such thing as a society where that even exists? I don't think so. That's, yeah. that's the issue. Is because like, I think we should be able to say and think whatever we want, but we should also have the same ability to question those thoughts in the same breath. Mm. So that and by restricting that speech, you also restrict the ability to question. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so I, like it's one of those hard ones, and like with um, with the hate speech thing, I can I can identify with things that are like hateful, like a directly hateful, like calling, out like racist terms to segregate others or harm others of different culture, yeah. like or belief systems or anything like that. That's very hateful. Mm. But like somebody could even skew that, um, whoever has like sort of political control. So it's very subject, and it's a very subjective thing. Yeah, well, there is laws around it, and they sort of draw that line of, is it inciting violence? That's yeah. kind of where they draw the line. Like, yeah. is your speech, you know, going to lead to negative yeah. things happening to people? Yeah, and like, do they like do they change the definitions of violence in the future? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, is emotional violence considered violence? Yeah. Some people would say yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. What do you think? That's a bit crazy, or I don't know. Well. I'm not a minority. Yeah. So I can't really say. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? As yeah. a like a straight white guy, it's yeah. very hard to comment and say Yeah. That emotional violence isn't violence because I'm not in a minority group. Yeah. But, but if you were, yeah, it could be pretty detrimental towards you. So Yeah. You can still have emotional violence placed on you as an individual as well, not necessarily based upon your background also. Mm. Um but yeah, with that like that sort of experience, like that's a that if it's based upon that, that is totally fair. Yeah. If it's totally about discrimination and calling violence against somebody of a different perspective or standing, then that's very hateful mm. in a violent way. Yeah. I can agree with that. Nah, it's an interesting thought for sure. Yeah, but like if like if somebody attacked you individually mm. and emotionally harmed you individually, does that become hate speech? No. Why not? Because it's, I think... Because of the terms defined? Because, yeah, what hate speech is towards a group, right? Like, I think the actual... Is it? I'm I'd have to Google it. I don't know, because like that's that's like, because um, that's one I know whether whether where are the definitions. It for depends it. what they're saying to me. Like yeah. if they're saying, oh, you're, you know, attacking the group I'm a part of, then it's probably yeah. hate speech. But if they're attacking me as a person, yeah, I probably wouldn't say it's hate speech. I'd probably what? just say it's mean. Just, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just probably just a bit mean. harsh. Yeah. <laughs> you look at the definitions, because that that's what really determines the outcome of the question. Yeah. And yeah. I just yeah, and I have issues with definitions because I feel like they always seem to like change, mm. and like we don't adjust quick enough for those changes. Yeah. Because then that leads to um problematic outcomes. Yeah. I guess, or am I sounding like a? No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Politically, yeah. I'm a centrist. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, no, me too. Um, well, the thing is, it's as soon as you start suppressing people's freedom of speech, it's a very, very slippery slope. Yeah. Like very slippery. Well, I'm in the media, so I. Freedom of press is the most important thing to me. Yeah. Freedom of information, people should be able to say what they want to say. Yeah. People should be able to have their voices heard. Yeah. Up until a point. Yeah. So oh, exa- exactly right. Like, 
people should better have like most conversations should be able to be had. Um, yes, I think the freedom of press is very valuable mm-hmm. because that's what like that's also what our society is built on. The entire concept of the West is basically those things like freedom of speech, human rights, um, individualism. Yeah, and that's the whole like the backbone of our society really is in the West. Mm. We, does it sound right or wrong? I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you look at what the media started as, like the fourth estate, the concept of the fourth estate sort of started during the French Revolution. Yeah. So you had, in France, you had the royalty, mm. the first estate. Yeah. Then the second estate was the bourgeoisie, so all the business owners. Yeah. And then the third estate was the clergy, so 99% of the population, the peasants. Yeah. And then the fourth estate was the media. Yeah. And the whole point of the media is that it was separate from the other three estates and it holds people in power accountable. Yeah. Because the royals could get away with whatever, but if the media reports on what they're doing to the common folk, yeah. the common folk outnumber the royalty. So they hold them to account. And that's yeah. what, ended, you know, what ended up happening. Yeah. Now we ended up getting guillotined. So, <laughs> so it has its purpose. Because yeah, they didn't have any cake or something like that. Yeah. When did media first begin then? What, like, what, where, who do you think was the first journalist? Storytelling's journalism, isn't it? I guess so. So you reckon cavemen, cave paintings. So you reckon it's always been happening? It probably wasn't called journalism then, but I think storytelling is journalism, right? Yeah, it is. Oh, so like that, like we've always been like storytelling and journalists. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's all. I guess it's always been a part of our, of like our society. It's always been storytelling. Hmm. For sure, it's passing things down from generation to generation. Yeah. And these days, you know. I can go to uni and do a four-year degree, or you can not go to uni and write an article and post it on your Facebook. Yeah. And you and I are exactly the same. Yeah. Is, I have, might have a piece of paper that says I'm a journalist, but you're still a journalist. Yeah. Like if you can find your own stories and write it up. Yeah. And that seems to be the way it's going these days. Most people, you know, blog and vlog yeah. and podcast. And make fucking millions of dollars off yeah. of it. <laughs> Somehow. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know what other question I was going to go with that. So yeah, so that so we kind of agree that like I don't know if you really have to agree with the hate speech thing. That well for me anyway, it depends on context. It also depends on accuracy. Yeah. And facts. Yeah. Because I can go and write an article and say this person is this and that, and if they're not, yeah, then they can turn around and sue me. Yeah. Because I've defamed them. Yeah. So, if you're going to write something, you have to be able to back that up. Mm. And you also kind of have to keep feelings out of a little bit. You can not like someone, but you can't just yeah. thrash them for no reason. Yeah. So, I think having facts and accuracy is probably one way to, to control, you know, freedom of speech. Yeah. You can't just say things that aren't real. Yeah. Um, which is good. You yeah. You shouldn't be able to. <laughs> what other questions can I ask you? What do you want from this year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah. Just progress my career, really. Yeah? Yeah, just keep keep doing what I'm doing, keep pumping out good stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, get some more feature writing out. Mm. Keep, keep doing jiu-jitsu, keep training that. Yeah. So, in like, let's say with your journalism, what does the end picture look like for you for journalism? I want to be an investigative reporter. Yeah. That's the end goal. So, 60 minutes, Yeah. you know, long-form stories, stories yeah. that make a difference. Yeah. That's... It's when you work on a 24-hour news cycle, you put out a lot of good stories, but you also put out a lot of stuff where it's like, this doesn't really get me up out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Like you know, the local 
playground is having an upgrade. Yeah. Interesting. People care about it, but it's not. It's not journalism, really, is it? It's kind yeah. of you're just sort of telling someone what they could just read on a poster. Yeah, you fill in the gaps. Yeah, like like I don't feel particularly proud writing stories like that, but they're yeah. necessary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. When you see those stories where they'll investigate something and then it leads to a change, like when there's a coronial inquest into something, that's the sort of journalism I really like. Yeah. Like, well, you asked me before how I got into journalism and I didn't actually answer this part. I watched the movie Spotlight. What's that? So that's the true story about the Boston Globe who uncovered all the pedophilia in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And it was a team of maybe six journalists from like yeah. the, the Boston Globe, just the paper there. Mm. And for years and years, they did this investigative reporting and they got threatened and sued and took yeah. on like one of the most powerful organisations in the world, but yeah. exposed just this deeply entrenched you know, abuse within the church. Mm. Like That sort of stuff is, yeah. is what media and journalism is important yeah. for, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like a bit of detective work. Yeah. So, so how do you achieve that? So what's the, like, do you just need experience in this supply? Like, how do you achieve such a role? I think it's. I think you just find stories yourself, and eventually you get to that point. But yeah, yeah it's most of the investigative reporters have been a journalist for twenty odd years. Yeah, because it takes. You have to have a nose for it. You have to see something and be like, mm, that feels a bit off to me. It's yeah. kind of like a detective in yeah. police. You know, you you get a sort of feeling for things, and then yeah. you just follow the chain down. You got to have good sources and protect those sources. Yeah. Um, I think it's just sort of something you do. Yeah. You just learn over time. Yeah. Mm. That experience thing. Beautiful and in progressive jujitsu. So you want to try to do that until you reach black belt, or yeah, hopefully. Yeah, just be careful with your joints. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm. I'm trying. I'm trying to not be stupid. Yeah, not too many spazzy white belt rolls. <laughs> that sounds wise. Yeah, and then also just like relationship stuff. It'd be nice to move near my partner as well. Yeah, which is good because we've been doing long distance for a year. So yeah, continue that. That sounds good. Yeah. Do you plan on having a family? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I want kids. Yeah. So. So like, not to get too personal, I find this interesting with people. Like have kids and stuff. So like, what age group would you want to have kids? Like, what age would I be when yeah. I want to have kids? Yeah. Probably around. I'm 25 now. Yeah. Maybe 30. Yeah. Yeah. That's the next reason. five years. Yeah. Yeah. Is that? So what's your reason for 30? I don't know. You're a relatively young parent. Yeah. Um, I think my mum had me around that age. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it depends, you know, I don't know where I'm going to be in five years, it's yeah. sort of hard to judge now, but... Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly, I was going to ask you what you'd look like in five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's really interesting, because um, I have a lot of my friends who are having kids now, and they're like in their, like, some of them are 24, 23, mm. some of them are 26, like, yeah, it's um it's a very strange time now as you get older and you start seeing all the people you know having children, and yeah, why they have children, like some people have children just by impulse or they haven't by decision. Mm. I want to be financially stable before yeah. I have kids. Like, yeah. I want to bring them into a world where they're comfortable. Oh, exactly right. That's my same thought the thought process as well. I was like, I don't have kids until I'm like financially ready. I think it's irresponsible sometimes. Yeah. Like, I think, you know. Well, imagine that. Like, you bring a kid in, you're instable, and then your kid's going to be instable. Mm. And you, your life changes. Yeah. And it will never go back to how it is before. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same. I've had mates who've just had kids, and yeah, they're just... You know, they can't come to things anymore because they've got a kid. Yeah. And that's, and that's just fine. That's just how life is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a big decision to make. It's not something you take lightly, I don't no. think. Well, you're taking care of a, a life for the rest of your life. So yeah, like, it's exactly. just It's a very long time. It's like, rewarding, though. Yeah, well, it will be. Yeah. Um, But you also want to, like, make sure you have a child at the time that you won't resent the kid as well. Yeah. Because, like, I could imagine, like, you meet some parents who have kids at, like, 16 and let's, or, or, like, 18 
and they have prospects of like I know developing a proper career but as soon as having a kid at that age they can't actually mm. and if they realise that do they resent their kids and does that then reflect on the child in 20 years time as well yeah and then your marriage can fall apart because of it it's a yeah, yeah. it's making sure you're very stable and content with your own mm. self before you start bringing somebody else into it like that was my that's my biggest fear before I have a kid I want to make sure I take care of my needs before I bring another one in yeah like my individual needs like I understand it's going to be self-sacrificing but I need to be selfish for a period of time before I can do that hmm. it's not selfish though it's just being responsible yeah like it, it is but also in the same sort of like way like you have to be selfish to be able to give to others sometimes hmm. like for example like I have a limited amount of time before like age catches with me or like XYZ or before the opportunities I have now go away so I'm going to take them all I can before I have a kid because then if I had a kid now I'd resent that child well not necessarily resent the child I'd resent the actions I've made I guess yeah like it's like I could be doing I could have done this and now I've made this decision I'm gonna this is probably gonna reflect on my child somewhere mm. I need to need to prevent that as much as I can how old are you now? I'm 27 now 27 yeah I tell you, you want to have a kid? I'm thinking 35 dude yeah, it's like later. I spent like years of like not having any money or anything like that mm. and like now I'm like at that point in life where I can financially do things like travel like I can do like CrossFit Jiu Jitsu like all these experiences I want to have before like I get old yeah travel's a big one I reckon yeah, you don't want you just can't travel with a kid it just doesn't work it's no, not the same no like and I want to at least like every year I want to go overseas at least once mm. and I, I need that I need that for myself um, before I bring somebody else in here because I, yeah, I need to address my own needs first. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, yeah. these days people are living longer. You know, back in the day, people yeah. were dying at sixty, so they yeah. had their kids at twenty. Yeah. Or eighteen. Or oh, and they didn't was. have and they didn't have opportunities like we do now as well. Yeah. Like, um, back back in those days, like you you were not, like they wouldn't have opportunities to go to like Japan, USA, like if they wanted to. Yeah. Like was, that, that was a really foreign concept. Like the fact that we can do that is so privileged. Mm. And so like, and that's where I see that like while I have the opportunities, I should take them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Where do you want to travel to? Uh, well, my I want to go to Japan. I've always wanted to go to Japan because of the whole like martial arts thing. Mm. Do some uh, judo. One day, I hope. Yeah. <sighs> probably not this time, but probably another time. Be Japan, Iceland, Norway. Mm. I want to go to Russia, Canada. You like the cold? Yeah, I love the cold. <laughs> I just like like because I've been in Mildura in like my entire life, which is fucking. It's just it's a, hot. It's a desert. Yeah. And as soon as you go to the snow, it's like oh fuck, this is unique. Yeah. <laughs> Something different, but like I really like those. Um, I really appreciate cultures. You'll see like cultures like that where like it's very simple and like very honest. Like Japanese culture is very simple and very honest mm. in the sense that like you find your discipline that you master and you continue through your life to attain mastery, and then you also have like those other concepts of like your family and culture and society, which is very basic. Then you have things like Iceland, where it's like they have these people who've had to survive in this rugged, cold terrain, and that would have to be like you to in order to do that, you have to follow some very simplistic structures and be very resilient, which I respect. Same with Russia, mm. Norway, and all that sort of stuff. That's the sort of beauty of one of those sort of cultures. It's interesting though that you were talking about the Japanese like that because they also have really high stress rates and really high suicide rates as yeah. well because. It, you know, if they screw up, that's the end of the world for them. Yeah, like, losing is, face is just a massive thing for, yeah. for Japanese oh, people. And, and I guess I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I respect the the drive they have yeah. over there. Do you think? Do you think that's because of the modern world? Because do you think back in 
back in the times before modernity and the need for like all this economic growth and all these needs, that sort of culture would have been more successful? Mm. Well, I mean, the Japanese became successful from trading. Yeah. Like they had all the ports and Okinawa, I think it was. You mean like in recent years? Or you mean no, like back in the, t- the back entire, in the days. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was a period of time when they shut everything off from the borders and didn't trade. That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah for yeah. like a hundred years or something like that. Yeah. Were they successful then? I don't... I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. It's just a different, different yeah. life. I might have changed my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I really enjoy the sort of... Col- yeah. The culture also influences the suicide rate mm. because of the high stress environment they need to provide. And then you could sort of look at like mm. another country, like if you look at Southeast Asia, where they are all really, really poor yeah. and they'll live a really simple life, but they seem relatively happy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not saying they don't work hard, they obviously do work hard, yeah. but it's different to that Japanese culture. Yeah. You know, they're not so business focused or anything. It's just, yeah. you know, you do your simple thing, you make your little money a day, but they seem pretty happy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if any one country has it right. Has it right. Yeah. I think it's more that I respect it. Yeah. I think it's where it comes from. Respect the grind. Yeah. Because, like, it's it's very... I don't know. Mm. It's probably a quality myself that I want to have. It's probably why I reach out to it. Because, mm. like, I want... Like, in my life, I want to be more disciplined, more resilient. It's basically, like, a real concept I really try to drive forward. Mm. And I guess that's why. I guess that's a bit of um, a bit of insight there. Yeah. <laughs> um... I don't know about you though, but I yeah. find I'm so much happier when I'm disciplined. Like yeah. When I have a schedule, I'm not like I, I lose my mind if I don't have a schedule. Yeah. You know, I like you know, I go to training every day, I go to work every day. Doing that, you just you just feel better. You feel like you're achieving something. Same. Like, yeah. Well, at the moment, like today, like hasn't been too structured, but most of my day I schedule. Yeah. Like everything's written down that I want to do. That's good. Um, and if, like, and that's probably similar to you. Mm-hmm. Like, you just you've got your goals. Like, you just do work. Mm. And probably fitness on yeah. top of that. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. you like, do like weight training and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and like, I guess we're, I guess get, yeah, that sense of purpose is so valuable. Mm. Yeah. Do you ever get guilty if you don't do things? Oh bloody hell! Yeah, like, I'm the same. I, I almost think I get too guilty sometimes. Like I can't. Yeah. You know, relax. Yeah. yeah. Like there was a period of time when I was like, re- like it was when I was in uni. And, like, the anxiety was so strong that, like, you'd have, like, four hours sleep. Because, mm. like, you're working, you're studying, you're, like, trying to make sure you get the highest grades you can possible. Like, yeah, you want to do a good job. And that's, like, and if you, like, let's say if I missed, like, I did went out to, like, a pub down the Palmy, I'd feel, like, I wouldn't better relax. Yeah. I was, like, I have to get this done. Like, it's very anxiety-driven. Do you mean like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. And I just get anxiety now as well. Like, if I go out for, like, a couple of drinks the yeah. next day... It's just like existential. Like, yeah. I just wasted my life. Yeah. Such a piece of shit. It's all over. Yeah. Yeah. Recently, like, like I've, I've, I'm used to be like that, but I'm improve, I'm improving that perspective. Is yeah. that there is a lot of value in hanging out with your friends? Yeah, definitely. I find that like once I like after like let's say a week of me just like grinding away, and if I just have like a couple of hours with some mates, like right now, like having a good conversation, a laugh, mm. like the next day you just feel a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah, you need yeah. it for sure. Just like that moment of like dopamine you get from like sharing a joke with a mate. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, I think I just have that sort of personality. I just go hard everything I did. Yeah. Like, you know, when I was a teenager, I was just like just a wild boy. I was just always just going super hard into drinking and stuff. Yeah. And now I don't really do as much of that. I mean, last night I did, but yeah. I don't normally do as yeah. much of that. Um, and now I'm just super hard into the 
training. Yeah. Like, I think it's just that sort of almost addictive personality. Oh, I'm the exact same, yeah. dude. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm hooked onto everything. Like, let's say, like, with chewing gum, I'll chew the whole packet a day. Yeah. Not, yeah, not I'm because, the same. Because it's like, I can't stop. I need to, like... I Nothing need, but half measures. Yeah, I need to have this resistance. I need to... I'll enjoy that resistance on my, when I'm chewing. Yeah. Like, I need more. <laughs> like, um, so, I'm the exact same, dude. I have to go all or nothing. Mm. Like, with my personal goals and stuff, like, I want to see how far I can... How fit I can get before... Um, before 35 yeah so like I'm just like trying to like PB and get as strong and as fast and like as cardiovascularly fit mm. well one because I feel like it's a realistic achievement because it doesn't cost much money mm. and like it's something that I've always done and I like I don't want to live my life for that like seeing how that becomes so I'm like fucking balls deep in that like, what's, what's that quote it's like it's a shame for a man to grow old without that quote, yeah. knowing what he can achieve yeah, what he like can achieve yeah, yeah. Or some shit. it's always posted on Instagram but yeah. it's actually quite a good quote yeah it is yeah. and like and that like I didn't I did it but I was doing it before that but like now I'm just more structured in the sense um, but yeah that's that's one of the things I'm all or nothing and like I have to be all or nothing in this or else this opportunity will go away yeah um, so I find it yeah very important to me like jujitsu like I want to see how, like I want to get my black belt before I turn 30 yeah and that's coming quicker and quicker like, it's kind of scary to think, because you probably turned 26 this year. Uh, yeah, in October. Yeah. I turned 27 this year. It's devastating. Yeah. I hate my birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The years just go quicker and quicker, I think. Yeah. Do you saw, have, oh, sorry, go on. No, you don't go to I was going to say, I saw a thing and it said, like, the reason it feels like the years go quicker and quicker is because it's a smaller percentage of your life. Yeah. Like, you know when you're a kid and you're 10? Yeah. A year is one-tenth of your life. Oh, yeah, true. But as you get older, it becomes a smaller and smaller increment yeah. of your life. So it yeah. just feels like the years are just flying, flying by. Flying the one, by. The one thing that I found that, like, really makes my life feel like it takes forever is also filling it up with lots of things. Yeah. Keeping busy. Keeping yourself busy. Like, I've never found like you're not busy in the sense of doing one thing but doing multiple things because like let's say in your day you wake up let's say for example you go to do weight weights at the gym in the morning go do your weights then you go to work you do your work in the day you have jujitsu at night then after jujitsu at night you'll do like another task like let's say for some housework and then afterwards you'll do some other goals like for example for me it's like right now I'm trying to learn Japanese Mm. and if you look at that at the end of the day it feels like you've lived like two lifetimes (laughs) in that one day when you get in bed you're just like yeah exactly (laughs) yeah but like you feel like your life's lasted forever. Yeah. Or like when you go on holidays, do you ever feel like the holiday takes forever but it's also short at the same time? Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just pack things in. Yeah. Like going on tours and yeah. going out for dinners and... Yeah. Like yeah, we, we went to Melbourne for two... Like Caitlin and I went to Melbourne for like two days and I felt like I was there for a fucking week. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Like we, we ended up seeing Andrew Huberman. Oh, really? Oh, like she surprised me with this um gift of um going to see Andrew. Amazing. Like, oh, so cool, man. What was he talking about? Um, basically well, everything on his podcast, really. But he um put him into like small bullet points and had a Q and A at the end. Mm. Um, he basically spoke about um sleep cycle, motivation, like self death, like all that sort of stuff, like basically self improvement strategies and optimal health and yeah, all those sort of things. He's such a cool guy. Oh man, he's I'm, just. The best. <laughs> maybe then maybe that should be my goal. I should probably like work towards being able to interview him. That'd be really cool. Yeah, he's just a great male role model. Yeah, yeah. In on social media, where there's so many bad male role models, I think he's a really good one. Yeah. Do you with that as well? That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, do you think the world's absent of good male role models? I think people in the, in the West. I think I'll only say that from the West perspective. I don't know about any other culture. I don't think it's absent of it, but I think we get shown ones that aren't necessarily great. Yeah. You know, 
pushing, as I said before, like that red pill agenda that you, you see a lot on social yeah. media. Like, I don't think that's good for kids to be seeing. Yeah. And my cousin's a teacher and she's saying, you know, there's kids in her school, like 12 year olds being like, I love Andrew Tate, I hate women. Yeah. And it's just like, they don't know why they're saying it. Yeah. They they're just, just see copycat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know why that's suddenly so prevalent at the moment, the, the whole like, sort of yeah. toxic masculinity, if that's the word you, you yeah. want to use I for probably it. probably would be the definition. That's what I'd call it. Don't say toxic people. Toxic people, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily a trait. Um, well, I don't think it's masculinity. I don't yeah. Know that's a, probably a whole other conversation. Mm. Um, yeah, like, uh, yeah. Do you, what, so you don't know Don't know what, why or don't think? Yeah, uh, but it's the same thing. You've got to seek out those people. Like, yeah. Cuban, you listen to him, he's just a cool guy. Yeah. He's, you know, never had any dramas, never had any controversies. Yeah. Seems like a nice guy. Good husband, healthy guy, yeah. promotes a healthy lifestyle. Like, yeah, just, just seems very content. Just his passion. Yeah, smart guy, he's fit, he's pretty... It's like what you should aspire to be, I think. Yeah, do you know he's absolutely shredded? Oh, yeah, have you seen that video with his shirt off? Yeah, I was like, fuck. And he's, and like, he's tatted up as yeah, well. He's yeah, he's like in his 50s too, I'm like, fuck, dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's the man you want to be. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Yeah, I think I think it's pro- I think it's probably a combination of like... um, Like vulnerabilities from social media and... And that we'd like at home. I don't think like your there probably are really good male role models, but there probably a lot there aren't that really grab onto those vulnerable people like those kids who find Andrew Tate as a role model. Mm. Um, but I have no evidence to back that up at all. Yeah, and it's kind of like um, I guess it's kind of projection as well because like I've, like during my growing up, I never really had my dad around, so I feel like that's probably why I perceive it that way. Mm. Um, but I probably need more time to actually find some evidence to actually prove that point or disprove it. But I think it's probably because of that. So what male role models did you have growing up? No yeah. one. Like no. I had none. I can't think of any that were like decent that influenced me. One, the only ones that ended up like influenced me were the people like, um, like on YouTube. Really, that's all I had was YouTube. Who would you watch? I watched people who were like did political points of view and like people who like. Like things about, I used to listen to philosophers. This I used to like. That's where I had like all those influences, and mm-hmm. I had like all these people that would talk about concepts of like how to live a good life. And I'm just trying to think who else was a major influence in my life. Mm. Like it was, it was a combination of those people who I think they really formed my thought patterns. And like reading was really my influence. And then eventually I found male role models like David Goggins, Jocko Wilnick, and mm. I find them as really good guiding role models. And yeah. also, because like I start to agree with those points of view. Mm. And same with Huberman, like like he's an amazing male role model. Yeah. Like he's so good for society. I don't I don't know much about Joe Rogan. Like he's good to listen to, but like at the moment, there's some concepts I agree with now, but like there's some aspects of him in his later years at the moment that I haven't seen shift too much. Mm. Like listening to his podcast, I don't feel like he's evolved too much. No, not really. I don't like his... I do, what I do like about him, though, is that he gives everyone a fair shout. Yeah. He has people from the left, he has people from yeah. the right, and then, like, he's not particularly biased in the no, which is which, which is, is good, beautiful. Which is good as, a, like, someone of, of that level and at that, with that platform. Yeah. But then again, it might also be, like, me not listening to every content he has and then not just forming a half-assed opinion as well. Mm. But yeah, that's the only, only people I can think of. I had no teachers significant in my life. I had no other real men in my life significant. I really just had to listen to like all these po- I, had, I had a moment of like you know like the whole MGTOW and men's right thing no. movement oh, it was like a fucking movement ages ago where I was like basically rejecting um society and stuff like that and going your own way and rejecting marriage and relationships and and stuff like that and that was when I was like a really young kid as well mm. similar to like the Andrew Tate kids but not, 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 not that extreme yeah not saying like 
the sort of shit he says. <laughs> yeah. But then eventually, like, listening to more things and learning how to, like, critically think about my own, my own life and my own perceptions. Mm. And then, like, changing it over time as well to realise that, like, the world isn't like that. Um, I'm really trying to think of, like, real role models, but the only ones I can think of are the ones that I'd read about. Mm. Anime characters. Yeah. They were fucking up there. What's the go-to anime? Oh, uh, Naruto, Dragon Ball Z. That yeah. was, like, my influence as a kid. You seen yeah. My Hero? Yeah, I've seen My Hero in my academia. Yeah. Like, that, like, that whole, like, idea of, like, working hard and, like, going through, like, moments of struggle and coming out the other side. The like shown oh, protagonist. Yeah, yeah, man. It gives me, like, goosebumps, like, cool. every time. Have you seen uh, Full Moon Alchemist? Yeah, man. Love That's that sick. show, too. It's one of my favourites. Yeah. Did you have any really good male role models in your life? Yeah, my, my dad yeah. was a the male role model. My yeah. granddad was good. Yeah. yeah, I had a lot of good male role models around me, which is good. That's good. They're, um, yeah, they're just the definition of hard work, I think. Yeah. My old man and my granddad and my grandma and my auntie came over from England on a boat when they were yeah. about, I think my dad was, you know, four or five, sort of grew up in a rough area. Yeah. Um, and then my grandma got a job working at Westminster, which is a private school in Adelaide. Yeah. Um, and then because she worked there, my dad got a half scholarship to go there. Yeah. My granddad worked two jobs to be able to send him there, even on the half scholarship, my grandma worked as well. Yeah. So he went there and then the whole time he was there, he said people used to, you know, call him Povo and say this and that about him. And he just worked really, really hard. And now he's really successful, like yeah. CEO of a business, yeah. doing really well, but That's it's just awesome. purely off of hard work. Yeah. And I just respect that. That's I awesome. really, really respect that. Just yeah. Full bootstrapping oh, style. There's yeah. nothing better than the grind. Yeah. <laughs> like watching somebody go through that. It's just, and for a cause. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's cool. Oh, it makes me feel good. And then my grand, my granddad was probably, yeah, I was like really, really close to my granddad growing up. He yeah. was just a wise little Welsh man. Yeah. Just, just had good advice. He, yeah. um, he always told me the story of Br'er Rabbit. Do you know what Br'er Rabbit no, is? No, no. So I've got a tattoo of it. One of these arms, a little. Little rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah. Um, basically, I used to read me this book as a kid, and Br'er Rabbit's like an old English folk tale about a rabbit, and a fox will get him, and he says, like, you know, I'm going to eat you, and Br'er Rabbit says, oh, you can eat me, I don't mind, but whatever you do, don't throw me into that thorn bush, it's the worst thing you could do to me, yeah. throws him into the thorn bush, and that's where he lives, there's little holes under there, Yeah. and it's all about, you know, just using your wit and using yeah. using your words to get out of things, and my yeah. granddad really sort of pushed that, Yeah. he's a very sort of witty guy and funny, yeah. which, yeah. I think had a bit of an impact on me for sure. That's good. That's yeah. very good. It's good to hear you had that. Yeah. Like, and it's not to say like my dad. My dad's my friend now, but my dad was absent for a period of time because like he was a truck driver. Yeah. Like so, like I wouldn't see him too much. Um. So like I don't really have my mum around. But like as I got older, and dad's like slow down and work. Like we've become friends, and now he's probably more of a mm. role model now. But like before that, he was a different person. Yeah. You guys similar? Do you think? There's a lot of traits that we ask we have about ourselves mm. um, but there are a lot of traits that we don't have just like anyone I guess in a family um, the whole martial arts thing my dad's like a, has three black belts really? Yeah. Um, like Kenpo Anise what, like a Kung Fu fucking thing I can't remember <laughs> this this is all back in like the 70s yeah and one other one I can't remember but I've got like all these books and stuff like he, like in the backyard he had like a Wind Chun dummy and everything like that that's cool like he used to like um, I really got to deal with that spider in the corner there <laughs> The plan today is to clean the house. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry, it's kind of a mess. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, yeah, dad, that would have been one influence, but and like that discipline aspect, I guess. There's one thing that my dad did really well, which was he would always get up and do it. 
mm. when it came to work. Like he, when I found out like his perceptions of it, even though like he, he didn't realise at the end of the day, he always thought that men were meant to just work and that was it and provide. Yeah. Which is one aspect, but then he forgot like he didn't get any time to see us grow up. Um, which is one thing that he seems to regret, but like always seeing him, like he always, like, cause his job was hard cause he woke up at 4am in the morning to go to work every day mm. and then he worked like 12 he hours. sacrifices. Yeah. Like every day for like 20, 30 years he's been doing that. Mm. And he all did that for family, which is very respectful. Yeah. I think. But like in doing that also like led him blind to think that like that was the right thing to do, mm. um, for other aspects of care. But like, you know, it's, it's things that you don't realise as well because you're so in the moment. He's like, oh, and probably in his perception the entire time he's thinking, oh, this is for my family, this is for this, yeah. which is 100% true. But you're also neglecting the part that, like, you're actually not going to be able to see the family providing for. That's true, yeah. yeah. I think as well, like, you know, when you're growing up, sometimes you resent your parents for things and you yeah. argue with your parents for things. But as you get older, you realise that they're just doing the best job they know how to do. Yeah. I think sometimes, like, they just try to make the, the you know, like, we're adults now. We just try to do the best we can do in situations. Don't always make the right call sometimes. Oh, but exactly right. No one, there's no book on it. You know, no one really knows what they're doing. So no, we're all just children pretending we're not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just fumble around in the dark and hopefully you, <laughs> yeah. you succeed. Really. Hopefully you get there. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah, that's um one aspect I guess I get from my dad. But I think I've got a big good combination of my mum and my dad and me, and mm-hmm. I've developed a lot of um uh, thinking tools. I feel like I've um I'm and because of like my anxieties, I've developed a lot of in, like introspective thought all the time, mm. and I've kind of used it as a way to think about how I approach my day, um, and how I should approach others. So I think that's very valuable. Yeah. Um, without sounding too corny. No, not at all. Basically, how I roll. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What else can we go on? Female role models. Do you have any good ones? Yeah, same thing. My yeah, mum was good. Grandma as well. Both yeah. my grandmas were good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, no, my mum was cool. Yeah. Is, is cool. Continues yeah. to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> what did you learn most from your mum? Um, well, she was really big on being respectful to yeah. women. That was a big thing as well, you know, growing up. Like, she was, you know, make sure you're respectful to your girlfriends, women you don't know, things like that. She definitely pushed that on me. Yeah. Which is good, and it's an important thing to know as a teenager. Um, just everything, really. Yeah. My mum and I are, are pretty similar. She yeah. lived a pretty, pretty tough life. Yeah. Growing up, her... Her sister's like drug addict, like, yeah. you know, meth, heroin, like really had a hard life. Yeah. Um, but she just, she's just stoic and just yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah. She'd tell me stories and stuff. She'd have to go and get her sister from like heroin houses when she was a teenager, like ah. go into them and pull her sister out and stuff. Yeah. That's so she saw some stuff growing up and, yeah. you know, was in car crash when she was a teenager where her best friend got killed in front of her. Like she saw a lot of things. Yeah. Um, she's just, yeah, strong woman. Yeah. Yeah, really smart. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, all I had was my mum, I think, as well, for that. And mainly mum taught me, like, um, there's always two sides to a story. So that's probably why I'm not very opinionated. Mm. No, it's just my opinions, because, like, I don't think there's any... I don't... The world's really grey. Yeah. It's not a very black and white world. No deontology, right? Huh? Deontology? That's the black and white philosophy? I don't know, is it? I think so. <laughs> I don't know, man. I got. Yeah. I'll tell you what, this year I read more. I'll read more philosophy books this year. Yeah. As well as that author you were saying. Yeah, Jack Haraway. Jack Haraway that you have to send me. Yeah. I will forget. Mm. Yeah, basically, yeah. That's, my mum was a really big influence. Like we had always like, like if I had a hard day, I would always go to my mum, mm. and mum would like, 
she'd be like very balanced like she wouldn't be like a perspective of one side like it'd be my perception but also like putting in the thought of like what's happening on the other side mm-hmm. and that's always stuck with me yeah yeah Man, that's good so like it's been very valuable mm-hmm. it's good to learn that early i think yeah it's kind of hard yeah, what what your parents ingrained into you is really really hard to unlearn. Yeah, it is. Well, it's what, like because that's when you're from your developing years and your brain's like soft and spongy. Yeah, right? that's where you learn that like everything's you learn from your observations. Yeah, I think everything's mostly just nurture, right? No, it's, I think it's fifty fifty. Oh, you're fifty fifty. Oh, actually, actually, I don't know. Well, but, I mean, the field you work in. Yeah. Obviously, you would say that nature plays a part. Some of those people yeah. that you would see have yeah. mental health issues that are just genetic genetic yeah yeah like schizophrenia like some people like they start out their lives perfectly fine like they have like really good lives and all of a sudden they get the disease comes in in their 20s mm. and then they're scary yeah and some of the, like some schizophrenics like they start out very academically successful mm. and very intelligent then like they hit their teen years and all of a sudden they start deteriorating is it does it just come out of nowhere? Is it mostly drug-induced? What's the... It's like, it's one of those things where, like, it could come out, like, spontaneously or through drugs. Like, somebody who's vulnerable. Like, you, you and I could, like, smoke... I don't smoke dope, but, like... Yeah, me neither. Um, like, and be fine. But, like, you mate next year, you smoke it once, and all of a sudden, he's psychotic. Yeah. And then he's, like, afterwards, he's, like, developing schizophrenic symptoms. And he's just triggered it. Mm. Um, people... Like, bipolar disorder similar as well. Yeah. Like, you're just, like... It's not in your control. You just have it. Yeah. Um... But yeah, like some, like, I don't know, there's those aspects of genetic vulnerability mixed with that nurture. Because I feel that like you you and I could be similar to any of my mental health clients if we were put in the right circumstances. Mm. If I didn't have the same sort of upbringing and was brought brought up in like a drug infested house with all these like substances around me and knowing those are the only ways to cope in the world and then, then the only way to survive is to be verbally aggressive self-harm myself or make threats of suicide to get my needs met yeah then i'd be doing that mm-hmm. but the the way i've learned how to get my needs met is to actually not do that and actually come and have a conversation with somebody yeah so really like interesting yeah so like i could you and i could end up like that mm-hmm. without even because like it's an ingrained behavior that we just haven't had the skills developed to identify well they talk about the fact that you know when people get abuse from a young age they see that almost as a form of love like that's the only way they know yeah. how to express which is just just tragic yeah but that, that's how they see it was brought onto them by their parents and then that's how they put it onto other people it's, yeah yeah it's pretty fucked isn't yeah, it it's really fucked like, what was that video from like um it was like that video where like the guys it's a movie and the guy's hitting his wife and he's like oh that's because you love her yeah like that that was like a mindset like back in the day that like violence was appropriate in like an intimate relationship mm. like that's that's the sort of like skewed perception it is like people who um self-harm they're only self-harming because it's all they know how to cope or how to get a te- like how to get a need met Ten- yeah attention, they're, they're yeah. like i've cut myself how are you going like i need help like they're inside they're saying i need help but they can only show that yeah rather than just communicating yeah mm. They, they um, have so much emotional dysregulation that's the only way they can ask for help is like, I'm gonna, I, will, I want to die, I want to kill myself and I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. That's them saying I need help. Mm. Which is a very like, extreme way, but that's how they've always been brought up. Or like, you see a lot of antisocial men who, like, let's say if they need a need met, they'll be like, I will bash you for that fucking cigarette right now, cunt. Like, yeah. that's the sort of thing. I will slit your throat if you don't give me this cigarette. Because yeah. they know it works. Yeah. And that's all they know. Mm-hmm. And like, you meet people like that all the time. Mm-hmm. In my sort of line of work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's all they know and that's all they know how to get their needs met. Mm. And, it's, and it's fucking strange. And I guess it'd just be hard to unlearn that as well. Yeah, and sometimes it's like, 
some people don't have the ability to unlearn it. Some people have like AV, like brain damage and like haven't got the tool set. And like the only way you're going to be able to really change yourself is if you want to change yourself also. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time people don't. Um, because they don't see that there's a problem because they're like, oh, I'm enjoying this. I get my dopamine high, I get to smoke some crack, sit in my den, watch some Netflix, like, you know, yeah. you get paid from the doll, what's the point of doing anything? Mm. Um, yeah, but like, I'm not saying that to everyone, but those are the sort of, that's the sort of example. Mm. But how weird is that though? Yeah, it like, is weird. That's a way of coping. Like, same, probably similar with um, the Japanese, like the only suitable way to restore my honor is to kill myself. Mm. That's a very similar thing. Yeah, it's just a yeah, it's an interesting thought. Yeah. I don't know because humans, humans have that self-preservation built into them. Yeah. You know, you know, like the concept of you can't drown yourself. Yeah. Because your body will naturally reject that. Yeah. But then some people get to the point where they'll do that, which is strange. Isn't strange, it? yeah. Like um, in the sense of like those people that cut themselves, they never do it to the point that they're gonna die. Yeah. Because I think that I think that self-preservation is still there. Hmm. Um, and most of the time when people say they're going to kill themselves, they don't really want to. Mm. They like they only usually die from misadventure. Is it they want people to care? Like, is that what it is? That's it. Like, some cases, yeah. Yeah. It's like that need of, like, I, ne- I need some sort of help. I just can't identify it. I feel like my life's a mess. I want to die. Mm. Help me. Like, it's basically... It's, that's how I see it anyway. But not, everything's case by case. It's a very subjective field. Of course, yeah. Um... But most of the time, it isn't the fact that they want to commit suicide, they want something met. Mm. And the only way, like, they can get it is by showing displays of, like, extreme things like suicide. Like, you have people who will, like, attempt to overdose, but they won't do enough to kill themselves. Because they'll, like, they'll take the pills, right, and then they'll call the ambulance straight after and say, I've done an overdose, please pick me up. Mm. Like, they don't, they clearly don't want to die. Yeah. Because they've just called somebody. So there's still that sliver of, like, self-preservation in there. Mm. But people who actually want to kill themselves don't tell you. Yeah. That's the scary thing. Yeah. No, I've been to a suicide funeral before and it was like, no one expected it. Yeah. Just complete shock. Like, yeah. People were like, hanging out last week, he seemed completely fine. Yeah. Yeah. You'll never know. No, you don't. They, they, apparently there's a thing where you get like, a bit, of, bit of a morbid topic, but you get kind of like really positive the week before you do it. Yeah. But they get that like pre-glow effect they've just yeah. accepted it it's really strange yeah maybe they're just like you've got to check up on your friends who are happy, happy. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. that's it. like that whole like corny thing when they show like photos of like Robin Williams and stuff like mm. that you wouldn't expect him to kill himself because he's so happy I'm glad there's been such a a switch recently in terms of men's mental health yeah like really there's been a real check up on your mates are yeah. you okay yeah like in the last couple of years yeah. and I because it's what's the biggest killer of men isn't it so oh like, fucking oath yeah, yeah one of the biggest ones yeah yeah so the fact that people are now more open to talking about it is great yeah back in the day it's like if you're a bloke in the 50s you can't tell anyone you're sad yeah it's just not, not a people pain. wouldn't accept it yeah and that's one thing I want to see more of because like I, I want to see like more people meeting up just having a chat yeah like I like for me like I feel like for this podcast for example I like I love having these conversations mm. but I feel like it's so hard now to actually get somebody to sit down and just do it, like a random person. You can't just do that with, like, another bloke and saying, okay, you're okay. Yeah. I feel like we should have, like, a culture of, like, where it's okay to have these really, like, important conversations about yourself Mm. to have a check-in, and you need to be able to do that with others where it's safe. Yeah, I think a lot of it relies on, like, other people checking on you, because sometimes if you're in that situation, you're not going to go out of the way and tell other people. No. Like, you need your friends to be, like, 
are you okay? Yeah. Like coming and checking on you. And a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. And we're like, like now we're having that switch, which is really mm. good. And I think it's so valuable. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's kind of like um, very uniting and very like warm and fuzzies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Does that, um, yeah. Like, I feel like the, like, for example, like this conversation here, I feel is very valuable. Yeah. Because, like, I've gotten to know you quite well and I've gotten to know myself a little bit better. Mm. No, it's good. Like, I really enjoyed it. It's Thank always you. Thanks cool. for having me. Oh, no worries, man. Thanks for coming yeah. on. Yeah. Um, if you want to ask you one more question. Yeah, let's go. Um, we've already asked, like, what you look like in a year. So, like, what does it look like in 10 years from now? What do you think your life is going to look like? Yeah, hopefully have a family. Yeah. Have some kids. Yeah. Um, have a nice house somewhere. Nothing too big or extravagant. Yeah. Not particularly materialistic. Yeah. Um, Any plans to travel? Yeah, 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 I want to get some travel in. Yeah. Hopefully go to Southeast Asia. Japan yeah. would be cool. Yeah. Canada to see my cousin over there would be oh, nice. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, just travel and work and just try to try to achieve something I'm proud of, I think. That sounds good, man. Mm. Sounds really good. Thank you for coming on. This has been Thought Anthology. Um, goodbye. <laughs> I really need to get a bloody good camera. <laughs>